Hi, welcome to the Edinburgh Space Data Capital podcast. I'm Kim McAllister. And I'm Murray Collins, Space Lead at the Bay Centre. We're on to episode six now, which is, how, how are you finding it? I'm absolutely fascinated and quite happy to be called a space geek now. Thank you very much. That's good. Well, I thought this week we would move on from the pure science and start to talk about the applications of some of this satellite technology to deliver new products and services and uh, talk about some of the companies that are actually doing that in Edinburgh. So there's a couple of companies in particular we're going to speak to in this episode but there's actually a very, very large number of companies operating even within Edinburgh in the space sector. So for data analytics, we have uh, companies like um, Brainwave, Space Intelligence, Global Surface Intelligence, Ecometrica, and uh, we're going to focus on a couple who have their, their home in the University of Edinburgh for the moment. We have one, Orbital Microsystems, who came over from Boulder, Colorado. So that was fantastic to have a US-based company open their offices in the base center. And then we're going to talk to Olivia Jacob about her company, which is a, a startup. So that's going to give a slightly different dimension. That's a home brewed company, as opposed to an international company moving into Edinburgh. So give us a bit of a different flavor this week and talk about the entrepreneurs who are working in Edinburgh developing space companies. How you can make money out of all this space stuff. Well, crucially, yes. <laughs> um, and that's what that's what businesses are doing. Um, it's great to be building stronger connections with the US in the um, space and satellite sector. And we do have a lot of strong links, obviously, with, with NASA and um, with space companies in the mm. US. And the major one to mention in the context of our podcast this week is, of course, Orbital Microsystems, who came across from Boulder in Colorado. Yeah, I think they were really excited to be in Bayes. I was there when they um, had their grand opening and Bill Hosack, who's their chief executive, is one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever <laughs> met. He has got so much energy. He has. I think that that's what you need as a leader of a startup company, isn't it? That sort of endless enthusiasm, boundless energy. And that team really provides that. So it's great. It's a fantastic launch, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but they, they're continuing to work away at the base centre. And I think we hope that they will outgrow the base centre at some point, because obviously that means they're being very successful. Uh, so exciting, exciting times. Yeah. yeah, very ambitious indeed. And that's the kind of company which we definitely want to see growing in Edinburgh. Well, it's good that I spoke to Greg Porter then, isn't it, for this podcast? It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> Almost like that. Greg's got big plans for employing up to 60 people in the next couple of years, which is news that we all want to celebrate given everything that we're going through at the moment. So let's have a chat with Greg. My name is Greg Porter. I work for Orbital Microsystems. I'm a meteorologist and project manager here based in Edinburgh. Orbital Microsystems is an American company based in Colorado, is that right? That's right, yep. Headquarters based in Colorado, and we've got a, a subsidiary, I suppose you'd call it here, a second office here in Edinburgh. Why did you choose to open your first international office? One of the reasons that we decided to come here uh, was just, just all, all the activity that's going on in terms of uh, the, the space industry, in terms of the data science. University of Edinburgh presented itself as a really capable and willing partner with us. Scotland and in the UK in particular presented a kind of a unique opportunity for us to position ourselves to be here to launch our first CubeSat, then also to develop our, our sort of Earth observation platform as well here in Edinburgh itself. And is that because of the position on the Earth in terms of launch or what, what was it that was perfect? So 
it, it's, it's a good, good, good question. It's a little bit of both. We don't like to classify ourselves as a you know pure instrument company. You know, we like to call ourselves sort of a data company, specifically a weather data company. So yes, yeah, some of it has to do with the actual position of, of, of the UK and in particular the position of Scotland. So the, the CubeSats that we'll be launching require a, what we call it, polar orbit. So the higher in latitude that you can launch, the easier it is to acquire that orbit. The second to that though is, is the downstream development. So there's there's untold resources, especially in Edinburgh in terms of uh, data science, young scientists at the university itself, some of the the academics uh, at the, in the School of Geosciences at the university, um, and then just some of the, the, the partners or other companies as well in Scotland as well. So Clyde Space, for example, really kind of the... Uh, the combination of, of all those factors made Scotland quite a good fit. And you've moved here yourself with your wife. How are you finding living here? <laughs> I have, yes. Yeah. So my wife, we, we love living here, actually. So we, um, we're in Maryland, in the, in the United States. That's where we met. Uh, she works for the universities uh, right now as a research assistant doing atmospheric chemistry. So uh, we, quite, we, we like it quite a bit. <laughs> the weather's not too much of a stress for you? No, no. Well, you know, as a meteorologist, I actually, I love it. And <laughs> I've lived a couple of different places. I mean, this is my first time living abroad from the States. But um, one thing I noticed when I got here is that Scotland, everybody likes to claim that they have the worst weather. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of one of those things whenever you go anywhere, everyone says that their weather is so unique and it's the worst. But it, it, I, I find it to be quite true in Scotland, at least in terms of the transient nature of the weather. It changes so much up here. Four seasons in one hour. <laughs> That is so true. And I guess as a meteorologist, that's wonderful, right? It is. And to tell you the truth, it, it you know, not to, not to go back to the business stuff, but it kind of makes our, our business case too. So a little bit about uh, orbital microsystems. We are building these CubeSat platforms that have a particular instrument on them that provide uh, weather observations. So observations of temperature, moisture, precipitation at multiple levels of the atmosphere across the globe. And one of the reasons we're using this CubeSat platform is because we're able to kind of launch these things, these satellites um, for much cheaper total costs. And that provides us with a you know higher spatial and temporal resolution of these types of observations, which is good because as we say, you know, weather changes every minute, every second. So the more you can capture the observations, the actual nature of that change, the better, the more accurate forecasts will be, the more likely industries can use that kind of information for applications that they're not using it currently. I love your plan to reduce that weather window to practically nothing. Is it like every 15 minutes you'll be able to send that data yeah. back? Well, we say 15 minutes and I, I, I will be, you know, I will be truthful in that it's, there's a lot that depends on that, right? So this is a space podcast. So it, it's part of it is, is getting the actual instrumentation up there and providing the spatial coverage. So, you know, anywhere between those 14 to 20 kind of CubeSats will give us that sort of global coverage. But the other part of it is the data processing side. So we're hoping to initially get under a sub hourly observation. Ultimately, we would like that 15 minute kind of uh, refresh rate, but um, there's some infrastructure uh, that has to go along with that as well, mainly kind of the ground station aspect of it, the processing apps aspect of it. But sub-hourly is, you know, orders of magnitude better than what we're getting right now for this type of application set. So. And what what is the application of that? How are people going to use that? How is that going to improve things? Sure. So it's it's one of the questions that I've been tasked with <laughs> here in Edinburgh. So um, it, it, and it's a good question. It, and it's tough because the type of observation data set that we're providing 
uh, is a microwave-based data set. It, and I describe it as obtuse of a data set. So it's it's important in that it actually, uh, it sees through clouds. So I guess let me back up for a second and say that there's a lot of uh, weather observations, a lot of satellites right now that provide sort of imagery uh, around the world. Really what you're seeing with those images is actually just kind of the top of the clouds. So I liken it to, to an automobile. The type of data, the type of the microwave data set or microwave instrumentation actually allows you to see sort of under the hood of the car. So even though we're getting some amazing imagery right now, infrared imagery, visuals um, of, of weather across the globe right now, it's, it's not actually diagnosing or seeing inside the clouds. So our data set provides that information, doesn't get obscured by clouds, uh, and in turn, that information then can be used to be input into weather models, to uh, operations for industries such as like transportation, airlines, maritime, um, for really what we call kind of better vision or better kind of uh, oversight of, of, of weather. So in terms of flight paths, you could, if you're getting information every 15 minutes, you know, a seven hour, eight hour flight, would that mean it would be slightly adjusted during that journey? Sure, yeah. We, we have limited scope in terms of what we can see over the oceans, particularly when it comes to upper level winds and precipitation at the surface. So your example about the, the airlines and their flight routes is perfect. Um, right now, the especially when they're over open oceans, for example, if there's a flight from New York to London, they, they, they operate in sort of a point to point basis. So their scope, their visibility is only, uh, it only goes so far, especially when it comes to, to upper level winds. They're not actually able to observe or see what's in front of them, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles ahead. So with our type of observation data set, providing that sort of high resolution, high spatial, high temporal resolution data set, in this case, upper level winds, that information could be instantly fed back to flight operations deck. And yes, they could then dynamically adjust uh, the flight route, which ultimately we think, I mean, well, not we think, we know, we'll, we'll save uh, significant uh, costs in terms of fuel. And by association, it's better for the climate and the climate change issues because you're using less fuel, so there's less pollution, right? Absolutely, yes, yes. Microwave data sets actually uh, are, have been up to this point kind of really used for, for sea ice monitoring. So um, yes, there's, there's certainly a large climate component. One of the industries that we're working with actually uh, pretty extensively at the moment is, is offshore, so renewable energy. So offshore wind farms. Our data set is really trying to open up areas or under sample. So anywhere, you know, 30,000 feet up over the ocean is an area that's really not <laughs> sampled very well observation-wise. There's a limited scope in terms of what you can see both around it and above it. It's amazing. You could go into so many scenarios where this kind of information could make a huge difference, right? So from a business point of view, you've mentioned some of the areas, but where do you see this going? Well, it's um, hopefully we, we it goes uh, far and, and wide. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's tough in the sense that it, it's an emerging marketplace, right? So it's not as clear as providing imagery like Planet does or or Spire. Um, it's it's not. There's a level of a uh, obscurity or complexity to the type of data. So initially, we'd like to target industries that are able to sort of ingest this data at a at a higher level. So industries like like governments that have weather models, like uh, so military institutions, uh, transportation, maritime, and, air, and aviation, uh, they're already equipped to sort of integrate this type of information into their operations. Beyond that, and one of the reasons we're here in Edinburgh is to actually then move the, the data, our data set, our proprietary data set, and combine it with other Earth observation data sets 
there's plenty that can be derived in terms of information when you combine our type of data set with with synthetic with SARS, synthetic aperture radar, radar with infrared imagery, with visual imagery. Um, that's when we can really open up the possibilities to to start deriving all kinds of useful weather information that can then be tied into uh, other industries like in insurance, uh, even retail. I mean, there's the, 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 the possibilities are endless. There'll have to be some, some more development of the data, but that's why we're here <laughs> in the data center <laughs> in particular is to utilize that kind of, uh, that expertise, if you will, uh, here at the University of Edinburgh, here in Edinburgh, here in Scotland itself, to sort of do that data science development. And you know Edinburgh has this ambition of being the space data capital of Europe. What's your opinion of this? <laughs> well, I think it's great. Um, so it, it's 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 Edinburgh, but it's also it's also Glasgow's, right? right? So um, when I first arrived here, uh, you know, I was made aware there's there's a healthy competition between the two cities, right? Like Glasgow and Edinburgh, um, but but it really is, and especially in this industry. So uh, up until this point, I think Glasgow has has been kind of the the epicenter for a lot of the a lot of the technology. So, for instance, even ClydeSpace. ClydeSpace, placed in Glasgow, is a company that we've worked with extensively. Continue to work with to develop our our buses for our instruments. Um, but Edinburgh has found a really good kind of area to carve out in terms of that that data science, that application side. So, um, which is a very, I mean, they say data is the new oil, right, or the new gold. There is there is endless, endless uh, streams of data now being kind of produced in all kinds of industries. So I think it's great. And I, and I think it's a perfect fit, in terms, especially in terms of the position of Glasgow and Edinburgh. Greg Porter there, who's obviously loving Edinburgh and as a meteorologist, certainly has plenty to study as the weather changes six times in one day. But I think it's a bit of a coup to have Greg and his company at, at, in Edinburgh and at the Bays, is it not? It is indeed. It's fantastic. And I think it speaks volumes for the quality for the people we have in uh, in Edinburgh to attract a company like that. So fantastic to have them here. And I think it goes to prove a larger point, which is that Scotland is extremely welcoming to inward investment. We're very much an outward looking country. Uh, we have Scottish Development International, which is out there making connections across the world and uh, building bridges with people. But then, of course, we have our own business development executives like Stuart Simmons, um, Simon Ma, Christina Tamina, who are out there building relationships with the companies every day. And I think, yes, it's, that is the message which I think uh, is getting out now is that Scotland is really open for business and we have this great expertise in data analytics, which we're hoping to build on over the coming decade. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to hear from Livia. Um, she's, she's got a very interesting story, actually, and I'm quite intrigued by why she chose Edinburgh as a place to come and study. And but more importantly, I think in the context of our city deal and the development of economic growth in the city, why did she choose to develop a business here? That's a really interesting question because that's something we aspire to do more of. Yeah, she's Swiss, which um, you couldn't tell from her accent. She came here for her master's and she doesn't intend to ever leave, which I always think is a very big vote of confidence for Edinburgh. And I spoke to her to find out more about her company, Earthwave. My name is Olivia Jacob and I co-founded a company called Earthwave and um, so we're a very young startup. We've existed for like one and a half years and um, so it all started at the University of Edinburgh. I studied and, um, and I also met 
another friend who studied with me and, and then um, one of the senior lecturers and the three of us went on to, to found this company. So you've kind of spun out of the university? Yeah, you could. Yeah, so basically, one of our founders still works at the university, so we we do have very strong ties to the university, mm-hmm. and um, so together we had this idea that we could take some of the research that has been done at the university and kind of turn that into an operational product. And so yeah, now one and a half years later, that's kind of part of what we're doing now, but also we we kind of work on a lot of um, projects on climate risk and climate change so yeah which is quite exciting yeah and when you studied did you you're because you're not from Scotland originally where are you from no I'm I'm Swiss you're Swiss I came here to study and I absolutely love the city really did you come here for your undergraduate or for your masters masters. for your masters and you fell in love with Edinburgh yeah very much excellent and what did you learn during your masters that made you realize there was a commercial potential for it good question um well, I think it, I think it was I did learn a lot, but I think it was more about actually the connections I've made, and I think what I wasn't used from Switzerland is that like there was this there was this were these nice relationships between students and lecturers, and because in Switzerland it just felt like you know like the lectures were huge and 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 you never actually were on this kind of friendly basis, and so I think. I think that's like most what what I took from the masters, just kind of really getting to know stuff at the from the university. So when you finished your masters, was your intention always to set up your own business? No, I just kind of no, I, I don't know. I didn't really have plans. I just like took the opportunity because we had we had an opportunity to do that. So, mm-hmm. um, but no, I didn't have like that wasn't like my life goal of setting up a company. But actually, I had so so I had set up a, a charity before, so I'm still working on the, in that charity, and that's been going on for seven years or so. And a, so a I kind of had in, it's, yeah, okay. it's in Switzerland. So I'm what do you working. do? So um, it's about um, so it has projects in El Salvador, so, and it's about education there. But so quite different from your company here. Yeah, totally. I should ask what your master's was actually in. We haven't talked about that. What was the subject? It's, um, it's Earth Observation and Geographic Information Science. So yeah, it kind of it does lead to what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the company that you've formed. What's different about it? What is really important to me is that that all the projects we do are are kind of either environmental or social. So I um, I said that from the very start when we founded the, the company. I said like you know. Or what we're doing, I, I just really want to do only ethical things, and I think yeah, that state like that so far, I'm really happy about that. Excellent. And I'm actually really hoping that this is also where, like, the whole industry in Scotland is going to head to, actually using using this amazing data to do all these like great kind of social and environmental projects. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about any of the projects that you're working on specifically? So yeah, so. Um, so besides generating this sort of um, operational products that we have, we also do kind of more um, research projects that are a bit more uh, less commercial. So, for example, me, I'm, I'm working on a project right now that is on melt of glaciers in mountainous areas. Okay. And, um, and kind of how it impacts local communities and so on. But we, we, we've also started to... So basically we're, we're also using um, machine learning models to improve our product products and um, we've also started to apply this into energy sector 
and um, so the idea is that in this transition to um, sustainable energy systems we we have a lot of um, challenges with how these uh, energy systems are influenced by the weather and that they're quite unreliable and so we're trying to to build models to better predict how much power that renewable energy systems are producing using um, models that we've created for satellite data by applying it to kind of more ground-based sensor but also including satellite data. So. Wow what I love about your story is that you came here for one year to do your masters and you've already set up a company and you're 18 months in. Anybody with that will could potentially do what you've done. Did you yeah. find it quite straightforward? I mean it's it's really challenging also but I have to say that I'm, I'm the youngest in the company so everyone else working with me is like about 15 years older or I have a lot of colleagues that um, that come from a finance background and have like been in quite high positions there so so I've always had this kind of security that I had um, kind of more experienced people in the company but I think when you're young and when you maybe you haven't had such a long career yet I think you you're more creative and you really bring a different view onto things and I think that's really valuable in, in, in small companies that are just starting. I totally agree and I think Edinburgh as well as all this exciting space technology, we have a real entrepreneurial vibe in the city. And I don't know if you've found that, if you've done any networking, if you've sort of got advice from any of the entrepreneurial networking groups. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, there's this, the space meetups and um, that I, I go to. and But I also go to a lot of things like, like Python meetups and so on, which is quite interesting just because you're basically using the same tool, but everyone is doing such different things. and. Yeah, actually, I, I do really like to, to connect, and in a way, I've I've also found friends like that that are kind of doing similar stuff like mm -hmm. me. But I do, I do find like this, that this um the sort of it, the space sector, but I think in general, like the the startup scene is very kind of um, male dominated. I mean, in the space sector, I think that's the case because it's such a like new and growing sector and I feel like I, I don't know why but I feel like it's mainly guys who start companies uh, yeah I'm really asking myself why that is the case it's every the day, eternal question isn't it there's probably a million reasons and, and that's another reason I'm so pleased to speak to you is to speak to a, a woman in this position because it's quite a male-dominated industry you yeah. know engineering and science and it's interesting I've been told that there's only two female directors in the space in industry in Scotland and I'm one of them so well I'm not you know I'm not sure if that's completely right so if maybe if someone listens to this and knows someone else is female and director or founder of please company, tell please us we want to find you I know okay, two touch. space directors that's that's woeful really when you think about it yeah I mean that's ridiculous but I think it's also very it's not just a genderist thing I think in general there's not so much diversity. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, yeah, male and white, mm -hmm. middle-aged. Mm -hmm. What would you say to young women who are looking at a career in, in space technology? Just do it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm maybe I'm, I'm always thinking I'm, I'm, I, I, maybe I'm too positive sometimes. I'm always thinking things are going to work out. You know, I've, I'm just going to start this and what, like, if things go wrong, well, I just do something else. But like, yeah, maybe sometimes it's hard to have this, um, this flexibility, maybe uh, if you want a family and so on, if you're female, but actually when you're young, that's exactly the time when you should do it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And I also think it's sometimes it's also a thing of confidence. I feel like in, in the startup scene, it's very much about show, not maybe that's a wrong way to say, but a bit about showing off and sort of um, telling what you're doing, but really uh, like making it sound like actually you're doing so much greater things than you are. And I feel like that's maybe not um, a characteristic that women often have to, that they feel comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe the, m the more um, women that are, the more um, women we have that are working in in this new space sector kind of feel like maybe that that is also going to change that that if that you can talk about what you're doing in a mm -hmm. different way than you have now yeah to talk now. lead by example yeah yeah and going forward so the company's only 18 months old i take it you have big plans oh yeah we're so excited for the future and um yeah every day feels like overwhelming you know right now there's so many things happening and um, we're so busy and like yeah I really hope that that we can achieve what we're, we're I hoping. don't see any reason why not I think it's a, it's a growing sector and it's obviously you know you have the technology and the experience so yeah and I think we're in a great place right now here in Edinburgh I think I think there's so many opportunities there's a lot of funding a lot of help and Actually, what, what's important to us is, um, mostly is that we have that link to the university. Mm -hmm. So the new university is based here. I think it, yeah, it's funny because um, I spoke to a guy the other day at a conference here in Edinburgh and he was from London and he told me, you know, if you start a company, you've got to do that in London. And I said, like, that, that's absolutely not true. You know, um, I started a company in Edinburgh and, like, we've been doing really well so mm -hmm. far and and also actually we do have an office in in London as well a small office and so far all the opportunities or most of the opportunities we got through location has been in Edinburgh and not London so so, so there you but go but maybe I'm biased because I really love the city <laughs> no I think you're absolutely right I think there's still an attitude that, it, that London's the center of the universe and for a lot of industries I'm sure it is but certainly there's a lot going on in Edinburgh and across yeah. Scotland and then across the north of England as well so yeah. their ignorance is your advantage hey <laughs> but I also think if we speak uh, when we speak about the space sector in Scotland we often speak about Edinburgh and and Glasgow so Edinburgh is kind of where the data science is and Glasgow may, maybe more like the, the CubeSat companies but I think we're kind of often forgetting the rest of Scotland and I feel like um, this space technology can be so useful for kind of more remote areas and yes actually as a kind of side hobby with some of fr uh, my friends that I study with I, I give courses in in rural areas like Fort William to, oh. to teach people ha like local organizations how to use space technology and kind of space products and like how they could benefit from that and it's it's really amazing to see like how um, fascinating they are, fascinated they are by by what they can do with that, and sometimes just their reactions of like, oh god, this is going to change the way we're going to work, and like, yeah, it's you're really doing the PR for the space sector. Good, <laughs> so, yeah. good job. No, in a way, I think if um, if more people are using the technology, and and it's certainly very useful for for remote areas, mm -hmm. and so I think that's going to help actually the the whole country or the whole sector of. Of Scotland. And just finally, we have this ambition in Edinburgh to be the space data capital of Europe. Do you think that's possible? 
Definitely, but I'm biased <laughs> because I'm yeah because we're here. So <laughs> yeah, well you're part of it, right? Um, yeah, I'm part of it. No, I I definitely think there's a lot going on, and I think there's um, so there's a growing community as well. So I felt like like in recent years it's been quite the industry has been quite fragmented because like so many there's so many different things that companies are doing and so mm -hmm. on. So actually there wasn't like this this community, but I think this is like kind of growing and there's lots of like events to bring people together and and like there's lots of like hubs where companies are are working together or like working in the same place and and I think that that's really strengthening the position of the of the city and then we've got a really good university with amazing research it's a good combination and lots of programs that help to to kind of bridge that gap yeah which is one of the biggest challenges I really like Livia Jacob and I was very proud to see her being the only space female director in Scotland, but that needs to change. So we'll come back to that. But I liked what she said about connections and relationships with the lecturers. And I did study for a year in Switzerland and I totally understand what she's talking about, that there's a big difference here in terms of the formality of the relationship. I don't think it's as formal here. Has that been your experience? Um, I, I, th I think that's true. When I first started as a postdoc years ago, um, I definitely found that as the working environment. That's a bit different if you're a, a student, of course, but I found people to be you know, massively cordial and in engaging with their students. But I'm going to roll back a little bit, Kim, and tell you that you are wrong. But that's <laughs> you love Olivia. doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you do, I love doing that. Um, but Livia is not the only director of a space company. So Genevieve um, Patamot. <sighs> Excellent. who's in the School of uh, Geosciences, is also director of a space company. So uh, company? She's, uh, she is uh, developing a company called Quotient, but she was also a director of Carbomat, ah. which was a company we highlighted um, when Ian Woodhouse came on. So there's a, I guess there's a, there's a broad developing theme there of the number of uh, researchers and, uh, and academics who are involved with companies or have founded companies themselves and that's something which we're trying to do within the context of this city deal is to take IP and, and know-how and turn that into useful products and services which will help drive the economy forward and that's going to be more important than ever when we come out of this lockdown it's very hard I think for anyone to predict what's going to happen but what we do know is that in a sort of competitive knowledge-based economy we need to have more IP more know-how more skills going into companies to help them grow and compete on a global stage. And Edinburgh seems to be very good at doing that. Definitely. And I really like the thought of being a student or a master's student or at whatever stage, that the person who's teaching you is not only teaching you the theory, but also the practice because they've also got a company. And I think that's a real strength of Edinburgh University. It is a key strength. I mean, I don't think we're the, the only university to do that, but we're particularly good at it. And there is an ecosystem developing in Edinburgh. And there's people like uh, Christina and Stuart, our business development executives, who are out there all the time speaking to companies and understanding what their needs are. And so that interface is absolutely vital. I think uh, that's that's going to be the model for the future. Actually, the, the government is, is really trying to push models where we look at grand challenges, industrial challenges, that universities can work on these hard problems and then companies can take forward into products and services to drive growth. So it's a really exciting time, I think, for, for UK research as a result uh, and particularly for Edinburgh. 
And I have to ask you about your company, Murray, because you do practice what you preach occasionally. And you did set up your own company in space as well, didn't you? I did. I do still have a uh, space data analytics company. And that's been running for a couple of years now. So really, uh, it's a great experience, a bit of a roller coaster at times. But no, we're, we're, we're doing well. And as you say, it gives you a very different perspective when you're running a business to, uh, yeah, to doing academic research. It's a very different world. How did you find the process, given that Edinburgh is not your original home, how did you find the process of setting up a company here? I found it very, very supportive environment, actually. Um, so I did the Royal Society of Edinburgh's Enterprise Fellowship, which was a key part of creating the startup. And uh, that fellowship provided training on all sorts of aspects of developing and, and running a business. Uh, then you've got things like the Converge Challenge, which is when I think that's where we're having dinner. And that's when I first met you and you that's said, right. there's, no, there's no space economy. There's no space <laughs> economy in Scotland. You were an astronaut. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was how much right. I knew about the space economy in Scotland a couple of years ago. I've and look educated. how far you've come. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Now I'm downloading Sentinel images and creating time lapses. Exactly. <laughs> Which we need to talk about, actually, because I haven't seen your results yet. So I need to mark your homework. Oh, but God. The, the, yeah, the, the process is, has been very, very supportive. And Converge and the Royal Society's Enterprise Fellowship are only two of those. Yeah, there's definitely a very cool entrepreneurial scene in Edinburgh and across Scotland, in fact. I think... Um, Given Scotland's history for inventing stuff, that shouldn't really come as a surprise. So here is a good place to be a startup is our conclusion, right? Whether you're in space or not. Exactly. There's, there's lots of companies springing up uh, all over the place. There's, there's a lot going on here. So yeah, very, very exciting place to be for a startup company, definitely. Yes. And hopefully it will be that attitude that gets us through lockdown and into whatever the world looks like on the other side of this. Yes. And actually, you know what, those small companies, small companies of today will be shaping the future. Let's see, is there going to be a giant killer among them? That's exciting. I think there's plenty of um, sleeping unicorns in Scotland, that's for sure. And in fact, <laughs> wake I them up, Kim. <laughs> I'm just up. going to ask them to wake up. If you are a startup in the sort of space sector, whether you're using any element of satellite data, we'd love to hear from you. And Twitter is where we like to have our conversations. So you can contact Murray at Murray B. Collins or me at Kim McAllister. Thanks for listening. Thanks.